What is up, everybody? It is Lo, your host, and we have the full Balls ATV crew for the first time in really months. It's pretty remarkable, really. And we have our favorite guest. You guys all probably know him, Christopher Gabriel. And CG, it's been a minute, and I was not here for the last time. How have you been? I have been great. It's great to see you. It's great to be here. I hope this all works. Now, I got to tell you, everybody always has fun backgrounds. So I'm in the office at my house. The pennant up there, my my man, Pastor Larry, long to, lifelong Vols fan based out of Atlanta. I've not been able to find a cool Vols poster. So he sent this to me because he had like 100 extra ones. So I thought I got to put something up tonight for the crew just to have something a little UT in Central California. <laughs> I love it. That thing is dope, man. Um, I want to apologize really quick for our delayed start. We had some issues and people running late, Nashville traffic, you know how it goes, um, Brando. But I guess we'll just dive right in. And, uh, yeah, unbelievable. Um, Bad news, as everyone knows, it's not breaking news, but it's bad news about Zakai Ziegler out for uh, the ACL for the remainder of the season. And something very strange was brought up to me today. And, you know, Hendon Hooker went out with his ACL injury in the second to last game of the season and in the regular season, and so did Zakai. Um, so two huge key guys going out this a lot of people have wondered, is this like a literal curse again, or is this just fate um, and just random happenings? What is y'all's thoughts on that? I mean, they both wear the number five as well. So not to like fall into that conspiracy theory by any means, but just a very crazy coincidence. But it was just a freak injury. I was happy to see that we were able to like bounce back and win as convincingly as we did. But uh Man, it's the worst time possible to lose, you know, a player of the caliber of Kai Ziegler, and especially as good as he is defensively. So it's going to be a tough loss. It'll be interesting to see how we uh, follow up against Auburn on Saturday. I definitely do think that it was like if we didn't win that game, it's, you know, hurting just as much. Like these two are definitely like huge monumental injuries. Of course, Zakai Ziegler on the basketball side, losing a leader like Hendon Hooker. Uh, this basketball team, you know, all year has been banged up, guys not being able to go. But, you know, even through his bad games, the Kyle was going out there kind of giving his all on the court, playing defensively. And then, you know, to see this kind of happen, you know, two games before the, the end of the regular season, man, it's just it couldn't come at a worse time, especially at the, this, like, the position we've been talking about all year, kind of having like the red flags that uh, no one deserves it. Like no one deserves an injury like that in general. But Zakai Ziegler, especially, man, that guy's too good of a kid. Everything he went through last year with his house and his family to coming back this year. I just know the story is not over with that guy. He's definitely going to use this as motivation. And I think this time next year, that, that guy is going to be, you know, breaking and just going off. But it's, it sucks in the moment, man. A lot to look, you know, going forward for the basketball side of things. It's just a terrible injury at a terrible time. CG, you want to go? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I have a little every now and then the signal's breaking up a little bit over here. So I, I'm getting the gist of everything. So I'm, I'm hanging in there, you guys. Um, I it, it's not a curse, it's just it's sports. I mean, unfortunately, this stuff happens and it just happens. Hooker and Zakai Ziegler, these guys, as far as I'm concerned, are the heartbeat of football. And 
uh, Rick Barnes to do now, now is, is that's going to make sense, something that's going to be able to not replace, to use others' talents to the best that they can. They're going to have to do something. Listen, I mean, we saw what this team could do out against Alabama. It's, it, but this is a different situation now, and thankfully they're back. Already said that he's not complete. Yeah, okay. we'll see about there. Everybody's going to need to step up. I'm not breaking news to any of you. Need to step up their game, um, and and I, I just they're going to have to be better. I mean, even pounded Arkansas, they're going to have to be better to go further. I agree, hundred percent. I also think like. <laughs> I, just just a uh, just a side comment. I mean, I feel like it's a very Tennessee thing that something like this would happen. Um, but again, you you really want to focus on the person and you want to wish him well in his recovery. Um, it really sucks to lose somebody like this. Both statistically, I mean, he was averaging eleven five and two steals. He was our our team leader in assists and steals. But also, like y'all said, he's the heart and soul of the team. Like we go as the Kai goes. Sometimes we get started slower or uh, we, we would be missing defensive rotations, and then you get a big play from him coming out of nowhere, getting a steal, knocking down a big three. Um, I think it was on the road at Mississippi State. He hit a bunch of big shots, hit two back-to-back threes. That really helped seal that game for us. But, you know, you just you wish him well. And you know what kind of person he is when other people from other ball sports are hollering at him. Like, I, I saw something that uh, Vitello wished him well and knew that he was going to make a speedy recovery. And then, of course, his teammates all surrounding him. But uh, – no, it just sucks, honestly. Like, especially right before the tournament and right before postseason, we know the the thing that's been held over Rick Barnes' head. He's he's second round Rick, but I mean, this is only going to increase those chances and hurt us moving on. But I mean, they did respond well. They responded really well, especially on senior night. Emotions were high. Eighteen point win against a, a tough Arkansas team that's starting to come back into their own. So you can't be you can't be anything more than happy about the win, but sad about the loss. It was just weird, man, because, like, all year, like, without Zakai on the court, like, the offense is kind of hard to kind of find itself with his, like, ability to get the ball into other people's hands. And then after the injury, Tennessee goes out there and has, like, its best offensive game of the year, going out there, spreading the ball all around the court to Sidewood and James, Santiago Vescovi shooting from freaking his home, you know, home country. Like, it's just absolutely insane. Uh, they responded well, but we saw that happen as well. You know, we lost Julian Phillips and Triple J initially. They came out for high. I want to see how, you know, we end – the next game here on Saturday and then going forward into the SEC tourney, whatever seed we get. I mean, like Alex said, though, like it's kind of hard when you lose your star point guard, you got to, you know, go put faith in the DJ Edward, the guy that Rick didn't invest in all season. Uh, you know, Vesco, we can only do so much. And we've seen, you know, what Tyree Key can give. Uh, it's just going to be a big question mark. And I think Tennessee has to go out there and respond well. Do they kind of shift to the down low uh, domination with, you know, Julian Phillips, Mayshack, and I do kind of taking over down there. In my opinion, I think that's a, a bright spot for Tennessee going into the postseason, but definitely a lot to look forward to and how Rick kind of schemes it up. Well, I would just want to say, first of all, CG, I'm sorry if I repeat anything that you might have said, but I may have caught 10 words in <laughs> when you were talking. Um, that, but I just wanted to bring up like the fact that how they rallied last night, because I was there and I was really extremely concerned. I was already nervous entering the game anyways, um, I did not think Arkansas was an easy team by any means or stretch of the word. And then when Zakai went down, I was like, oh, shit, what are we going to do now? 
And the way that they responded and the way that our bigs played, we shot 50% from the field at by the end of the game. That was it. We had literally um, 30, what was it? 35 rebounds, I think. 35, 36 rebounds. And we only shot 25% from the three, 25%, and we won by 18. That tells me we don't have to depend on the three like we tried to do all season. And I I just saw a completely different team out there. And, yes, losing Zakai is terrible, and it's a huge thing for this team. But the way they rallied and stepped back up, I'm kind of right back in it mentally. I mean, I don't think that this team – should be counted out of anything with the way they mm-hmm. played last night. I really don't. And the comment about BJ Edwards, I know he's not out there for a reason. There is something development there, whether it's defense or size or if he's not in shape or whatever. Um, there's just something about it. I think we just lost CG because he was frozen. Yeah, he's gonna try to come back on using the I audio. I got him. I got him. No, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that, Lo, because I noticed the same thing last night. It was just there was a next level of just aggressiveness offensively and just attacking the rim. And, you know, it's just so frustrating in the sense that we had to lose arguably our best player on the team for us to change that type of style of offense. But we've been waiting for this all year, and who knows? I mean, it's a huge loss to lose someone that's a Naismith Defensive Player of the Year semifinalist, someone like Ziegler. But this also made a lot of guys like Triple J and Julian Phillips and Euro step up big time too. And who knows, maybe this might be, I mean, might be what needs to be done in order to make a decent run in the tournament. The quote that came out just last week before the Sakai injury about BJ Edwards wanting to get more minutes and stuff, and Rick Barnes was like asking BJ if he thought he was ready. And he said, you know, I, I guard Zakai Ziegler every day in practice. I know I'm ready. Like there's, you know, if he really is like guarding a player like Zakai, let's be real, like, he probably should have seen minutes earlier this season, but just uh, Mayshack, man, like that guy, like, he's grown into the season, grown into like the postseason. The way he drives to the basket when the team needs it most, he's not scared. You know, he won't make it, you know, all the time, but he's going to go out there and get to the free throw line and connect. If he can convert and be like a real offensive threat to the postseason, to God being down, you know, Julian Phillips wakes up. I'm convinced Toby Awaka doesn't go into a game and not give 100% every time he plays. That kid mm-hmm. is a dog, and he's only a freshman, mm-hmm. man. We should still be in high school that reclassifies. So that kid's just, you know, insane. Uh, to be honest, man, I think we have the tools. We have the depth. Like, it's obviously a huge injury defensively. I want to see how our defense, like, you know, adapts to it going in. But I think if they can, you know, play their own, lock down to the system, this team should be able to go out there and compete with anybody. Real quick, and, I mean, yeah. Before that, just because Brando brought it up, I noticed for the first time in several weeks last night on defense that Vescovi seemed to be struggling with his man. And we had literal help side defense where we weren't just letting people, if it wasn't your man, they're just free. It really seemed like everyone really stepped it up and tried to make up that difference. If someone lost their man, if someone turned the ball over or even a pass that was the right look, but didn't wasn't like appropriately passed. Everyone was like balls to the wall trying to cover for each other. It seemed like they were really working well as a unit and giving 100% effort. Everyone that was on the court each time trying to back each other up as a unit and not just like letting things run or fly out of the handle. I don't know if anyone else caught that or not. No, I agree with that. And I also think 
that's a that's a testament to Julian Phillips coming back because you have way more length well, on the I've, floor. You have that ability to. Oh, here come CG. <laughs> Go ahead, CG. Oh no, that's okay. You, you know, we're all subject to the uh, to the. Oh, forgive me. I mean, I pop, pop myself off the screen because that's helping a little bit uh, more at my end. I, you know, I agree largely with what everybody's saying. I think the thing that has frustrated me the most with this team throughout the year is that, you know, we have a long, lean, athletic team, uh, a team that ushers, and I, I why we don't more often, uh, guys just go into the hole, go you know, penetrating, 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 and either, uh, getting a, you know, getting a three-point play or kick out last night, it was right in and then kicked it uh, to Josiah. He would he a wide. Those are the kind of play tournament. And then, if we can get kinds of, we simply have to connect on. Or you know, I, I, yeah, I love. <laughs> I don't know, man. I've never had such trouble with Streamyard in my life. We're gonna try oh. it again. Are, okay. are you not getting me? I am. I cannot hear a word that CG is saying. <laughs> Like the, the most pirated stream quality, trying to crack stream a UFC pay per view right now. CG, try using your phone if you haven't. That might work. Has it ever been this bad before? Uh, I mean but then again, I, I do realize that we're all on the East Coast, and CG is coming in from Fresno on a, on a you know internet link and not a, a radio call. We're gonna try it a third time, and you know maybe the third time is the charm. Um, I guess, you know, so what, what were we talking about? We were <laughs> talking about the, the late rises of the team, I guess. And like, I don't uh -huh. know, going into SEC tournament play, I guess no one, uh, our seed really isn't kind of affected no matter what, in my opinion. But I think Kentucky's kind of looking forward to it. Have y'all seen the Matt Jones tweet? No, what'd he say? No. Uh, he was looking forward to the sex tournament for Kentucky. And oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. I did see that. Like in Bozo. An odd but, yeah, just just really awful. Look, CG coming in for the third time. I, I see him perfectly clear. I think this is going to be the end all be all. Yeah, this might be Come it. on, CG. CG. Can you hear me? I can yes. hear you. You know, got to love the iPhone, right? I mean, so, you really do. You know, and I tried to position this in the way that we can make sure to see the important <laughs> thing, the background. Beautiful. Oh, this is beautiful. beautiful. Okay, now we're in full effect now. <laughs> Should I do this? Oh, wow. It's oh, landscape. There you go. bad moment, CG. <laughs> Jeez. All right, hold on. I'm trying one more thing here. I'm going to try to make this a little bit better. So that I, have, I have a up. question, though. I guess kind of. Oh, oh, no. I think he just oh, so no. CG. He exited out. The <laughs> iPhone strikes again. I was going to ask a really good question. 
Hey, 15 minutes in, we're still just trying Dude, to get... Dude, it's in the you don't... 15 minutes in, I don't even think we've had, like, two talking points so far. Like, I presented two talking points, but we didn't get any responses. Right. Hey, round CG. four. Try again, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, CG, with, with the Zakai injury, like, a lot of people, you know, probably looked at it like the end-all, be-all, looking at this team going into tournament play. What do you tell to the people that, you know, all you're looking at Rick Barnes pass and now see the Sakai injury and don't take what came after the game because they're just, you know, prone to not believe in, in the team. What, what do you kind of say of how they go into, you know, the SEC tournament in March? You know, I, I have to tell you, and I've said this on other radio shows in the Southeast and I've said it on, on the air out here. Uh, and that is there are about 350 teams that play division one college basketball. Let's start with how many of those coaches have won a national championship. Let's start with how many of them have gone to the Final Four, Elite Eight, Sweet 16, and so on. That number is tremendously tiny. It is a tiny number. So it's very convenient. It's very easy to get on Rick Barnes and talk about his shortcomings. Listen, when it comes to college basketball, college football, when it comes to Tennessee, I tend to be a glass-half-full guy. I'm looking at Rick Barnes as a guy that's won over 700 games. He has had a tremendous career at all of his stops. He's an unbelievable recruiter. Does he have his shortcomings? Yeah. And could I do a better job? Is there anybody right now that I see that would do a better job than him? No. Um, I, I like the fact that this team believes in him. They will go to war, figuratively speaking, for him. Uh, the fact that he hasn't done great in March that's a bummer, right? But you know, that some of that's on Barnes. Some of that is on player development. Some of that is on, I think, a lack of really solid offensive scheme. But some of that is on players. It's on players needing to execute. And unfortunately, too often than not, I think back a couple of years ago, when we had the Admiral uh, Grant team. And, and that team, you know, they got derailed by Purdue on what was, I mean, it was a game that, that the yeah, Vols could have probably put away early. They got nailed on a miserable foul, uh, foul call with the guy kicking his leg out. Things like that happen. And this, to me, is the key point. It happens to all teams. But we follow one team more than others, and so we notice the highs and the lows more with this team than the others. I just think people need to take a deep breath, worry less about bashing Barnes, and maybe focus their energy more on getting behind him and this team that needs them more than ever now. No, yeah, I definitely do agree with that. And then it's kind of just like, you know, the path it's taken him for, you know, his whole career. And then now getting here at Tennessee is like, what, seventh year at Tennessee? Eight, wait, what year are we in the Barnes? So just like, just wanted to see him finally get it done, man. Finally getting that last run, whether it's, a, you know, an Elite Eight, a, a Final Four, you know, making it to the National Championship. We can all dream. But I think it's just like the the one of wanting him to see it, knowing that like, everything that we built around Tennessee basketball and the environments we're bringing to TBA and everything, like the whole blueprint for Tennessee to be a national basketball team, it's there. And if they can make that run in March, instead of, you know, getting the sweet 16 X or around the 32, I think like we're talking about a whole new meaning for Tennessee basketball. So. I think like as well, like a lot of people tend to forget, there's a lot of coaches out there that have been very, you know, that have performed, have not performed well in March. I mean, if you think about I me, mean, John Calipari is a perfect example with a guy that's had the amount of talent that's come in, not only just at Kentucky, but Memphis as well. He's only made it. He's only won one national title. You know, he's a guy with the amount of talent that he's brought in on a year to year basis, should have won three, four, five national championships. And not to mention, and I know a lot of people don't want to like hear this, but like 
Rick Barnes has been to as many Final Fours as Bruce Pearl has as well. And if I'm not mistaken, he's been to more Sweet 16 appearances too. So, like, it's the most unpredictable tournament in the world. I mean, like, you know, so even even some of the best coaches in the history of college basketball have, performed, have not performed very well in March Madness. Like, it's just a very unpredictable tournament. And who knows? I mean, who, this could still possibly be the year where Tennessee makes an Elite Eight or a Final Four. I mean, we've seen how good this team can be. And they even proved that last night. Like, they can still win without Ziegler. So, it's very unpredictable. I think a lot of people just need to realize that. Like, you know, it's not like college baseball. It's not like college football where, you know, you have, like, you can usually win the postseason. I mean, it's just very unpredictable. Listen, if people look at the screen, they will notice that I am – a little older than all of you, just, just a little bit. <laughs> a, Not a really, little bit. I think so. And and so I'm going to date myself here. It was a di- back in the John Wooden days. I, I remember them. Um, a lot of it, the terms that- different. There were fewer teams. You had to win your conference. Nevertheless, it took John Wooden 13 years to get to a Final Four, and he didn't win until I believe it was his 15th year at UCLA. Yes, recruiting was different. Everything was different. But the point is, it's easy to focus. There were plenty of people in Westwood, just because, you know, having gone to school out there and and understanding the mentality there, there were scores of people when he came out to Westwood from Indiana that wanted him gone. And in fact, had it not been for a bad storm, he might have ended up being the coach at the University of Minnesota, but he couldn't get there for an interview from Indiana. So he went to California. But point being, if it's not obvious already, and, and I mentioned it a minute ago, and then Drew just articulated it, stuff happens. Things happen in this tournament. Not every coach has great luck in March. Um, this team, you know, we have run up against some teams that have just, they played out of their minds. The fact that it's happened repeatedly to Tennessee is a frustration. Maybe this year isn't going to be the year. Maybe. In a good way. Yeah, and you know, on top of that, people talk about how they wish Bruce Pearl would come back and, you know, replace Barnes and all of this stuff. And I think the reason that is, is because people remember like the offense that used to go with Bruce Pearl and how exciting it was. And it's the same with football because we were always for this last several years, we were in this focus of defense, 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 and our offense was like non-existent. Then we get offense and everyone has like, a fire lit under their ass and they're like, Oh my God, we love Hypel forever. I feel like it's kind of in the same wavelength with Barnes where he focuses so heavily on an incredible defense, but then the offense isn't always put together and it's not always perfect. And, you know, last night showed me that we really can put stuff together. And I felt like the guys really played basketball and he allowed them to do that. Instead of just let's call this play, let's shoot this three. It seemed like it was way more easygoing and a good flow. Um, And it wasn't perfect, obviously, but it was certainly better. And I feel like people just get caught up in the past. But Bruce Pearl was gone for a reason. And it, it would be ridiculous to not be happy with Barnes at this point. And like CG said earlier, who the hell are you gonna get? replace him and when he leaves which he's going to probably really soon we are going to see a big fall for a while in my opinion in basketball because it's going to be hard to find someone who recruits like him and to want to come here and who is at least consistently getting to the tournament 
thank God we have Danny White because if you look at that man's track record of hiring coaches, especially basketball, that man is on a roll. So mm-hmm. uh, thank God for our administration, but definitely something we have to, you know, just take in and hope for the best. Everyone wants to kind of, you know, see it get done for Rick. And I think all in all, yeah, we get mad when it doesn't go our way, but I think we, most of us have the best interest at heart for Rick Barnes and everything going forward and trying to, trying to get this, tournament run going so it's just going to be crazy man it's it definitely stings waking up this morning to be like dang like Zakai Ziegler Tennessee put out the official statement ACL it's just it's a lot to take in but the t- like the team can kind of rally about it we've seen teams do it before and make really long runs after a huge injury on their team and Tennessee can do that and it'd be a huge storytelling ending for Zakai to come back to next year you know I, I don't remember how many of you uh, had a chance to get to the Orange Bowl I was fortunate enough my brother-in-law and I, and I went out Alex. Yeah, and I, my brother-in-law and I went out to the game, and and it was it was great, you know, watching Joe Milton up close, and a lot of folks were already, you know, dismissing the the team and the effort. We're going to lose to Clemson, and I think a lot of folks were looking at Joe Milton and looking at the Joe that we saw last year, uh, and mm-hmm. then not really paying attention to the amount of work that he had last year. This is going to roll back to UT basketball. All the work that he had in the offseason, all the reps that he had this season, and then what he did uh, at Vandy. And, yeah, it was Vandy, but, it, you know, he still looked pretty good. And when he was seeing him up close against Clemson, it was a whole different player. The team clearly had every bit of – every ounce of confidence in him that they would have had had Hendon Hooker been able to play. Point being – this is a, a senior-laden team, this basketball team, and we have guys on this team that know their roles and know that understand the situation. If this was a freshman-sophomore team, I'd have more concerns. I think this team's going to be fine. And one quick thing to Lowe's point about she thinks uh, that we might take a big fall. There's a possibility of that, but I, I also think, and, and you made the point, Brando, <clears throat> Danny White is just – his track record of hiring coaches is great. Listen, there are a lot of coaches out there in group of five schools uh, that uh, that are really good. And there are a lot of offensive-minded assistant coaches. Not that that's what they would go for, but there's a lot of guys out there that, that are highly qualified to take the jump to the next level. How many, how many fans before Billy Donovan got to Gainesville ever thought, well, Billy Donovan is going to be phenomenal there? I remember him as a player. He, you know, coaching and, and what have you, he didn't really do a lot, but his system was something uh, that Foley, their athletic director at the time, really thought, we've got to bring this in. And I think that when Danny White has the chance to hire the next coach, I really believe, I don't have any idea who it would be, but I really believe, based upon what Danny liked to hire uh, at his previous stops, we're going to see a basketball version of Josh Heupel. I would love that. I hope you're right, CG. I really do. <laughs> um, anyone want to talk about anything else, like from Arkansas, or do we want to talk about Auburn, or do we want to talk about tournament seating? Because there's a lot to talk about basketball-wise. I would say I could get into tournament talk. Yeah. Let's do well, it. Yeah, it Oh, there's like been like a hot take of like everyone being like, "Oh, we're gonna drop to a four, But I just don't see it. Like me personally, I'm on the I'm on the three. Uh, I think this team has like, even though through all the L's and like the one that seems the most because I saw the person in Memorial Gym in Vanderbilt. Um, I think this team has done enough in their wins and like their wins against ranked opponents to to not drop a low three. I mean, every 
every publication I've seen has this as a three seed. And I mean, I just think even if you lose on Saturday, even if you lose against Auburn and even get an early exit in the SEC tournament, I still just don't see us being anything lower than a three. And just based on the fact that we've beaten two teams that have already been number one in the country this year of Kansas and Alabama. And then on top of that, just single-handedly just dominating Texas as well. I mean, this team, I mean, they have a lot of questionable losses. The Colorado is a bad loss. I mean, a really, really, really bad loss. But the win, those three wins against those top ten teams outweigh any of the bad losses that we've had all year. And I just think, think when you look at other teams like Indiana, for example, who lost, I believe, by 24 points to Iowa last night, they're considered a three seed as well. So there really shouldn't be any excuse as far as the committee goes on at least putting us as, as a three. You're not going to find anybody that doesn't have bad losses. The Colorado loss was bad, but I watched the Kansas TCU game at Allen Fieldhouse. The TCU just tore Kansas apart. You don't see people leaving Allen Fieldhouse as early as those folks did. Uh, I think the fact, uh, to your point, Drew, I think the fact that you know you have the Vols you know, with great wins over Texas, uh, over over Alabama, um, we t- Kansas. We tend to forget, even though it was an exhibition game, pounding Gonzaga. Uh, I mean, you know that that's a team that I've seen a lot out here, and it's not the Gonzaga in the past, but it's still a very good Gonzaga team. So I I think you also look at last night's game. That's a very good Arkansas team that probably mm-hmm. should have won in Tuscaloosa uh, against Alabama. They didn't, and the Vols. <clears throat> I mean, they took them apart last night. So I, I think if the Vols would have lost, and thankfully it's a moot point, if the Vols would have lost last night and would have found a way to lose by double figures, I think we're then talking about slipping to a four. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I definitely think that they're going to stay on the three line. And it would be nice going into Auburn to see back-to-back a back-to-back win because that, that place is going to be crazy after the way Auburn got beat uh, up in, uh, in Knoxville in that offensive uh, display uh, that night. So, I, I do think the Vols need to win, but uh, I, I don't. I'd be surprised if they slipped off the three line. Uh, I'm glad CG mentioned that because even if we looked at the conference tournament, that's the one team I'm scared of is Bama, and not not because they're on the court, but for our player safety. So, oh, good lord. <laughs> anyways, anyways, I think I think we got to win Saturday to save an early exit in the SEC tournament. I think if we beat Auburn, then get put out early, then we stay at a three. But I find it hard to lose two games in a row, and then drop and then stay in the three seed. So if we were to, if we were to lose against Auburn and then go out in the what the quarters, I guess that's uh, I mean that's two back to back losses. We'd be a double digit losses. I think we fought at the probably like the best four seed. But if we want to stay in the middle or even the higher three seeds, I say we win at least beat Auburn, win one game in the conference conference tournament, and then I think we'd be safe. That's just I don't know. I would agree with you, except for the fact that they're projecting like seven or eight SEC teams into the tournament. So they know just how tough the conference is. Um, And that's that brings me right into a controversial topic about where is if as you're entering, you know, we always think you take it one game at a time. But do you guys think there's any thoughts creeping up in Rick Barnes's mind about, okay, well, we won the SEC last year, but I don't want another early exit. Um, do you put, do you try to try different lineups in the SEC tournament, not trying to win at all to potentially save your best lineups for the tournament? I've heard that. I've seen it. I've heard it. I don't think that's what he was no, doing. No. 
Van Lund. What do you do? I think I think you play you play the game you've been playing. Honestly, I mean that's got you to this point. But I think if you start and start to get like too cute or to like change too much stuff up around, that's when you start to really shoot yourself in the foot. I feel like you stick to your guns. You stick to what you've been doing. You play solid defense. You limit your opponent to however many points, like forty points a game, and then you always give yourself a solid chance to win. That's just I, me, sorry. Go ahead. You're good. I was shaking my head. Not, I agree. I've heard the same things, Lo. I've heard the same things. What I was shaking my head about was, I'm going to borrow from Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. That's what you do. And there is too much precedent in the NCAA tournament. I mean, going back 30, 40 years, teams going into the tournament with a loss, with a couple losses, with, with, with four out of five, five out of six, more times than not, and boy, you can look it up, more times than not, those teams do not win on that Thursday or Friday. And if they do win on that Thursday and Friday, they end up losing on Saturday or Sunday. I, I think Rick Barnes is too much of a competitor. He is, I think, low. I do think, I think he's going to experiment a little bit with some lineups, but they are playing to win and they are playing to defend their SEC championship. They are playing to get back on a roll. The heck with moving stuff out. We're going to rest some guys. You know how you can rest some guys? Beating Auburn to make sure that you stay one of the top four seasons and get a double bye, to get one more day of rest for Key, for Josiah, uh, and to just to, you know to get that mojo back. Absolutely, CG. I fully agree with that. And it surprised me that people have toddled with that idea, but then again, it doesn't because I've seen – all of the ideas on this fan base. So, I mean, it's just a very like loser mentality of thinking just throwing away a couple games just so that you could potentially go on a run in the next tournament. I mean, I think who's not to say though that like this team could go in a run in the SEC tournament? Because if they do, and if you beat if you beat Auburn in a tournament, and you beat Alabama, you beat Kentucky, you're going to be a two seed. I mean, so like there's even more to play in in that regards as well, and so. I think it's just a loser's mentality to have this idea that, like, we need to lose so that we can be healthy. Because every single time that any team has ever done that, like CG would say, it's never worked. It never will work. Because already mentally, if you're like, all right, I'm going to check out today, but next week I'm for sure going to be 100%. Like, it's just nonsense. So you play to win. You take one game at a time. And who knows? I mean, winning the SEC tournament not might be the worst thing, you know, from a team chemistry standpoint on to go on towards the tournament. So, And I truly think that this Zakai injury will make them have that much more fire to do it all for him. I mean, there's no – there's – everyone's hearts were broken. You could see it last night. It was completely silent in TBA. You could literally hear a pin drop in there. And these guys were shattered. And you could just tell the way that they picked that game up, reset their minds – to finish that for him for senior night, I feel like they're going to take that and they're going to run with that for, mm-hmm. for the rest of this month, truly. I'll, I'll go back to the Orange Bowl again. You remember, because I, I didn't know that Hendon was there. Do you remember when the captains went out to midfield <clears throat> and suddenly you see Hendon on crutches going out there? And I, I looked at that because I was on the, the side of the field that our bench was on. And I remember looking at the guy's body language and it was like everybody kind of went from here to kind of like this, you could just see it and you could feel it and you could write for those that there, you could feel it in the crowd 
And you know that if he can be there, Zakai will be there, uh, if not the SEC tournament, certainly wherever they go, where they get sent in the, the NCAA tournament, this team will emotionally pick it up in every imaginable way. Again, senior leadership, Zakai's leadership will be there, and they will be reminded of what they are trying to do, not only collectively as a team for the, for the team, but for Zakai as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not trying to, you know, go bow down to no Auburn and Bruce Pearl. I'm not trying to, you know, if we catch Vanderbilt again in the SEC tournament, I'm definitely not trying to bow down to them. Uh, this is to nobody. I think you go out there and you play to win. You got to go out there and Rick said himself, the point guard position is going to be have to be by committee. If that's, you know, decide Jordan James coming up and stepping up and having to trust guys down low or heaven forbid, giving, you know, BJ Edwards some kind of minutes, you know, just to balance it out. I know it's going to have, you know, rely mostly on Tyree Key and Vescovy, but you just got to go find that balance. I think Tennessee, uh, go out there to win. Don't bow down to anybody. And I think if we can – I'm looking at this Auburn and Bamba game. They're going shot for shot right now, just straight up blow for blow. And I think that's what Tennessee's going to have to do with Zakai out. They're going to have to go out there. And if the defense, you know, falls one game, they're going to have to, you know, make shots and score points. And that's been a struggle all year. But you're going to have to go blow for blow and go out there and win a game instead of play at their level. We, we saw in the second half of the Missouri game – um, and again, I said this early on when we were, you know, when uh, when people in like Moscow or, you know, Bulgaria or something was getting in the way of our signal. And then we redid it. it we, you know, we were saying early on uh, that the team is they, they're going to be forced and they're going to be compelled to play differently. And what they did against Missouri in that second half, even though they lost on, on that crazy shot, they showed that with their athleticism, they can play up-tempo. You want to play up-tempo? They can play up-tempo. They've got the guys to do it. I wish we pushed more in transition. And if, mm -hmm. if that's the game, if a team wants to try to uh, – I'll use the phrase. Oh, no. Uh, we were doing doing so, so well. So, so good. Well. I guess the hey, window. But I, I guess I'll, I'll fill in while he buffering. Uh, oh, there, you there, he is. Is. there he is. There he is. You'll end up by saying what? What? I, I want to see if he come back. He's looking. Can he hear us? CJ he can like, hear us. He looks like you're looking at hurricane. I think that's a no. Speed. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will work on this. Alex, what were you going to say? Uh, oh, he was saying, like, we should play in transition more. I 100% agree. When we get up and run, we I feel like we're a way better team than we are in the half court because the, the one thing that I've noticed all season long and the one thing that I feel like is going to really hurt us in the tournament is somebody to go and get us a bucket at any given time. You know, like in the half court set, I feel like we don't have that. Like one day it's one day it's Julian Phillips, one day it's Sakai, one day it's Santee. But like consistently we don't have the Grant Admiral show anymore where we can just throw it to either one of them and you know that they're probably going to get you points. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that's what's going to hurt us more. So if we don't get into those positions, we will perform a lot better. I'm glad that um, my thing was on mute because I just had a catastrophe in here. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> it was on mute. CG, can you hear us now? I, I can hear you now. I, I okay. For a second, I thought, is it me? Is what's happening? I didn't see anybody talking, and then I don't know. But I, I, I got you again. So beautiful, beautiful. Well, I don't know what we were talking about, or I can't recall. 
But, all right, one question I do have for you guys, though, is that, so when I was looking up today, the, you know, predictions that, like, ESPN, CBS, USA Today have as far as bracketology goes, they all three three have us as a three seed, right? But the two seeds they have are each a little bit different. All Big 12 teams, uh, ESPN has us playing, you know, potentially Kansas State in the Sweet 16. Uh, CBS has Texas again, and then USA Today has Baylor. Which team of those three would you guys prefer us to see play in a potential Sweet 16 matchup? Kansas State. I was Kansas. thinking the same thing, too. Kansas State, because Texas, we've already seen them. Um, you know, we kind of we kind of handled them at home. They'd be looking for a revenge game. And honestly, Baylor, Baylor plays the exact same style we do. Really gritty defense. They're always in the passing lanes. They're super physical. And – I mean, yeah, that's that's the way that we want to play, but we don't necessarily want to be played that way. You know what I'm saying? Like we we want to we want to put the pressure on you, not have the pressure put back on us. And I think we we tend to struggle sometimes when people throw that punch back at us. But if we get more of a finesse style team in Kansas State, I feel like we could lock them down a lot better and have a better chance of moving on compared to the other two. I agree with that for sure. I've never watched a Baylor game in my life. Yeah, I, I think that the Vols, I think the Vols can beat, I think any of those combinations can beat each other. And I, I think the, they're all really good teams. I think the Vols can, can definitely take down any of those. I like the matchup possibilities against Kansas State better than Baylor and better than Texas, in particular in the backcourt. I like, you know, I like Vescovy in the backcourt. I, I just, I like, I've seen Kansas State four times this year. And not saying that it, we would sweep to a win, but I do think, that just for matchups in particular uh, and experience, I, I that would be the matchup that I'd want to see. Yeah, Texas, I never want to see a team a second time. And you just know that the committee always finds a way to have these cute rematches uh, somewhere in the yeah. second or third round. I yeah, hate that. Me too. And you know, yeah. they're, they're going to do the whole rig story again. And it's just whatever. Yeah. I definitely agree with the Kansas State one, though, because, I mean, I haven't scouted Baylor like Alex has apparently, but I just I definitely think they would come to play as a Big 12 opponent, even though Kansas State, I just haven't seen. Obviously, if you look just thinking as a normal fan, as a casual, I guess, you wouldn't play Kansas State. But either or, I think that would be like a good first matchup to like kind of get us going. Yeah, I mean, they so they had us, had us, uh, had Kansas State as that two seed, and then Creighton would be the six seed, which would be, I think, extremely favorable for us. I'd, they'd be. But knowing Tennessee, though, we would most definitely lose to Creighton in the second round. I could already feel it. Isn't that the what, what I was talking about earlier? That's that's the Illinois State. That's the Delaware, <laughs> the Wichita State game that you know that we're all talking about. We're looking ahead to the next round, and Creighton comes in and wins by fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> so, is it true though? So the last time I looked, they were saying like a three seed in Greensboro. Is that still what's being said? Uh, I mean, I could see that as a possibility. I think that would wind up being the best overall three seed, and I think we're right there. I mean, we're consistently within 10 to 12 range as far as the rankings go. So I think you could see that, and I think with that being the South region too, they would most certainly logistically would have Alabama be that number one seed as well. So. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if we do wind up being in the South region this year, which would be nice. That would be a want, pretty reasonable trip. So. Because I want to drive. I've got Stay my. Away from Brandon Miller, man. I want to. I want to throw something. 
to your to your way, or maybe I should say to y'all's way. Maybe that's just a little bit better. There you go. Uh, <laughs> but you know, for all the times that we collectively, the entire fan base, as well as media members, you know, we get into a little BVS, a little battered valve syndrome. For all of that, I think one thing that has been overlooked is that the folks voting in the AP poll, we have given them numerous chances to push us way south of where we are Mm -hmm. at right now. So I think for all the times, and I think sometimes it's warranted for all the times that we have lamented dropping too far, they have had a lot of faith in this Tennessee team and they've understood that there's been a couple of bad losses, but to an earlier point, I think that we've all sort of agreed on everybody's had a bad loss or two. And I think they've looked at Tennessee and said, this is a high quality basketball team. I know Jay Billis, people love to get on Jay Billis and I'm kind of 50, 50 on him anyway, but I've heard him on too many shows that Tennessee wasn't involved with where he is always talking about Tennessee. And listen, it's not incumbent upon any of these guys to, to throw bouquets, ducks and bunnies at Tennessee. But the fact is, this team has gotten vastly more good pub than they have gotten negative pub. And I think the fact that we are still in the top 11, 12 really says something about how people, how voters look and, and coaches look at this team. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that, especially considering, you know, there was that four-game stretch where we lost to Florida, Vanderbilt, and Missouri, and we still only really dropped, like, I think it was only three spots, only right. going from seven to ten. So – that's like what I was telling you guys earlier. I was like, you know, the fact that we only dropped three spots after losing to like a bad, a, not a very good Vanderbilt team and Missouri back to back, like really says a lot that the committee thinks of Tennessee. Like, and I think they're going to give us that if we show them that. Like, if we show a good performance against Auburn on Saturday, that's going to be a very tough game. We haven't won there in, I believe, six or seven oh years. But. Uh, all right, Brandon, what's Dude, happening? Vanderbilt knocks off Kentucky interrupts 68 66. What? Dude, Vanderbilt no, knocks no, off Kentucky. Parlay. Auburn's up by That was 10. my parlay. Oh, no. That was God. my parlay. Jerry Crackhouse is on a roll. Oh, my God. Damn it. You know what, though? Here's, a, yeah, here's another part of that. Shy, he just fell up short, missed it in the rim. And, you know, a lot of times. There's a frustration about, well, how does this team or that team go into Rupp and look so good? Or, or when, when Kentucky went down to, you know, that the enlarged high school gym in Athens, Georgia, and Georgia goes and, and beats Kentucky. I, I think a lot of folks are quick to forget that it's about matchups and it's about how a team is looking at the guys across the court and what's on their uniform. When they see this, especially Kentucky, there is a different mindset. There's a there's a different bar that they're trying to reach. And listen, with all due respect to Vandy, good on them for I mean for what it's worth going in there and winning. But it's a it should be a reminder that Kentucky's a decent team. They're not a great team. I don't care how many announcers on these broadcasts want to try to make Kentucky. Oh, look at Kentucky now. They found their way to the six line. Yeah, good for them. They're still not a team that's going to win the national oh, championship. They're going to be lucky to get to the Sweet Sixteen and. Vandy going in there and winning really has nothing to do with Tennessee going in there and not winning. They are mutually exclusive. Also, Sister Jean picked Kentucky to win it all this year. So first off, I just want to say we need to quit giving her publicity because that is one of the most outlandish takes. Because, CG, I am right there with you. Kentucky is good. 
but they, I, I feel like they're still in as a sweet 16. If that. Are we talking about Sister Jean from Loyola? Yes. Now, listen, all you need to remember something now. That's the neighborhood I grew up in. That's fine, but you're not her. You're not out here making these Atlantis takes. That's right. Like, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I, I want to throw a little love, but, you know, when she's walking around and you're considering the school that she's at, I don't want to upset her, but I'm with you. I, oh, that's my I'm favorite you. thing. Like, who's, getting her, who's getting her publicity time? Like, I'm sorry. Nobody, like, I just, nobody ESPN has the max contract, like it's <laughs> Kevin Durant or something. Nobody Buddy, should. Have you seen the edit? Have y'all seen the edit where it's Sister Jean doing the first pitch at the Chicago Cubs game, and she, like, underhands it, and then it cuts to Drew Gilbert sending it out against Wright State. Oh, Beautiful. Boy. Great. As a born and raised Chicagoan, my father came from the South Side, so I'm a White Sox fan. I'm a, I was born a mile from Wrigley. I've always said, and for all Cubs fans that are on here listening and watching this right now, I apologize in advance. As long as there was nobody inside Wrigley Field, if the place burned down, I'd be okay. Love I feel it. you on that one. Not particularly the Wrigley Field, but for a lot of sports stadiums. Maybe, maybe the swamp, Brian Denny. Drain the swamp. Drain the swamp. Or as my friend, my friend Larry, Pastor Larry in Atlanta calls the swamp the retention pond. Oh my. <laughs> well, I'll very much looking forward to making my appearance at the retention pond uh, in <laughs> September. So <laughs> good lord. I mean, as we're as we're kind of, you know, going forward with, you know, Tennessee basketball, kind of looking at all this madness unfold as the regular season ends. Another season begins. Tennessee baseball, the baseball is going crazy. Seven in a row, six in a row. It's a good start, especially after, you know, losing two of the first three that we had. Uh, I mean, Grand, Canyon, Air, Grand Canyon's not that bad, and Arizona's a good team. But, like, you know, you'd rather – it's it's better off to lose those games early, start off the season, than as opposed to the SEC play. Because if – if you fall off quick, I mean, if you lose those first two or three series in conference play, it's very hard to come back and be able to be within that top seven, top eight uh, within the conference. Because I mean, we're finally on full go too now, though. Like at full I, go. Yeah, true too. There was probably, I mean, that was like a huge like showcase event too. I felt yeah, like we could just, yeah. I mean. You know there was some nerves going into that. It's opening weekend. It's a freaking MLB showcase. I mean, a lot of people didn't perform their best, but I mean, my God, they just started. So, yeah. well, also you probably think that your your uh, starting shortstop going to be up there, but then five minutes before they just like, oh yeah, no, he ain't. Yeah, like, that's oh, just, what you mean? <laughs> yeah, that's not what you you're playing for. Shame, you shame on the. Those, those two games that that the Vols lost out there. You remember that second game, you know, with Grand Canyon, when you saw Tony Vitello out in right field, absolutely lighting a fire, uh, not under anybody, but basically on everybody. And and I, I got the idea that even though I don't know what he said, I got the idea that probably some of what he said was, you came into a team that was historic last year. They didn't finish the job, but they were a, a historic team in what they did and how they, not just how many games they won, but how they beat teams. And you all got here this year, and you thought it was going to be easy. This is what it's about. Every team's coming at you, and if you play at this level, this is the kind of result you're going to get. It was probably the best thing that happened to this team early to show them the expectations that you see are not here for this program. They're like they're up here, and you better get it together. And and I and even though the the competition has been substandard, 
you still want wins and you still want to pound teams and you still want to show teams that, you know, Tennessee hasn't gone anywhere. So I, I give us a string of wins, get it together, get the bats warming up. Every time somebody is, is knocking it out of the park, whether it's a Burke blast or whomever, mm-hmm. it's just raising the bar for everybody else. I think those two wins are going to, two losses uh, out in Arizona are going to serve this team very well. I, I was definitely like, yeah. especially after that, he changed the lineup a little bit, got the transfers more involved. You know, Griffin Merritt was able to come <clears> and play, um, you know, just able to kind of get the guys involved. The lineup kind of changed. Blake Burt, you know, he wasn't there the first two games in Arizona, but he's shown up, you know, being in inside Lindsey Nelson, uh, you know, six home runs on the season already, 24 his career. Blake Burke, you know, 10 games into his sophomore year, he's halfway at the Tennessee career home run record already, which is absolutely insane to say what we've seen like the past, you know, two or three years, as many balls that have left, you know, the stadium in those historic seasons. Like this kid is absolutely going berserk. Um, Now, you know, Maui Ohana coming out, you know, going across the field, making plays in his debut, his first ball going all the way to the warning track, almost going out. The pitching has been phenomenal. I, you know, I didn't have A.J. Russell circled on my bingo card. But he's been out there dealing, got the start today, was really impressive there. You know, uh, Zach Joyce being impressive coming in, just like his brother. I thought, you know, the pitching rotation, how it switched over and uh, being without our pitching coach, Frank Anderson, wasn't out there in Arizona as well from, you know, the last year incident against Notre Dame. So we're finally getting our full coach, like full coaching staff, full roster enabled. It's really on in the uh, early on in the year, kind of going to figure all that out when it gets in the SEC play, what you're going to do postseason. But seeing these guys kind of growth, and getting started so far at Lindsey Nelson and out of conference play has been good, man. Absolutely. And I guess since we talk basketball, baseball, we have to talk about these new NCAA sanctions and the recent drama. Um, Drew or Brando, which one of y'all have more info on that? I know CG has got Uh, – I can go at least a little bit of, like, the most recent news, not, like, what the rumor is. Um, so there's been four former staffers now that have gotten show cause, you know, um, penalties for their involvement within the uh, recruiting violations. Unsurprisingly, uh, Brian Niedermeyer and Shelton Felton uh, both got show causes. And Drew Hughes, who is the director of player personnel, and a student assistant, Michael Magnus, were also given uh, show cause penalties for their recruiting violations. They didn't specify on, like, what each player or each coach got, but – it ranged from three to five years for each for each coach. I got a feeling Niedermeyer got the five years as well as Felton. Um, but apparently, Pruitt is going to get the worst one out of all of them. And yeah. it's I don't think we're ever going to see Jeremy Pruitt coaching college football ever again. Well, if, if, if he was going to be able to, Jeremy Pruitt would be the defensive coordinator or the defensive analyst at Alabama right now because Nick Saban yeah. was definitely heavily involved in trying to, you know, bring him on there. Um, and, you know, I definitely add, you know, Jeremy Pruitt to that list of show causes just because those people that, you know, were identified with their causes are ones that came to terms for their show causes and one being Niedermeyer, uh, you know, however long he has to stay down there at IMG now as a pipeline. That's just going to be off on his resume from being a bag man everywhere else. Like no one's going to touch that guy. And just all the truth that kind of came out about that and who that kind of guy is, I mean, was, was in itself. Um, I'm kind of more concerned, you know, obviously we knew what kind of people they were when, they left Tennessee and the truth came out, but I'm concerned about how the NCAA is going to respond to us because Tennessee, when Josh Heupel first came in, that was the first thing they attacked aggressively. I remember against Bowling Green, uh, Ball State, like early on games in year one under Josh Heupel, there was, you know, no recruits, guys, you know, weren't buying in anyway. So Tennessee was, you know, going ahead and getting the sanctions, you know, in the out-of-conference games, taking care of a few SEC games on campus, did everything they could behind the scenes. 
the NCAA comes out and says, you know, after they did all these show causes that they haven't come to an agreement with Tennessee itself. Uh, that's just kind of, you know, disappointing to see because Tennessee, forever, however long it's been going on, over two years now, kind of expected this to kind of be wrapped up. Uh, the NCAA is, you know, looking at some failure to monitor stuff, kind of want to, you know, bang Tennessee up hard just because of how it ended. But to be honest, man, they got rid of absolutely every single staffer, every single player, every single person that was involved. Heck, the chancellor wasn't even there. Like, it's a completely different university and, you know, uh, athletic program all around with the athletic director and under Josh Heupel. And now we're doing it the right way under NIL. And I just think going out the door, all everything Tennessee did this season in football and their 2023 recruiting class to kind of bring that home, it's just kind of like a, a sour taste because the NCAA – I feel like if they were going to not, you know, destroy us here in the end, that they would have kind of came to terms and Tennessee was fully expecting for it to kind of be over and done with from what I've heard in this situation, kind of thinking what they had done had been enough. So just, you know, to have that still on your back going into, you know, year three under Josh Heupel, um, you know, coaches are going to be like Mark Stoops who's used it for years in recruiting against, you know, in-state and out-of-state talent. It's just going to be something on your back, but I think it's it could be a lot worse, but it's just the overall factor of it being there is is stupid we had buffoons running our program and it was just awful to you know point fingers at them and you know blame these innocent kids that are coming in and trusting a new staff and a new administration and i think like i think our listeners need to like understand this too is like i think within 10 of the violations that the ncaa you know accused us of uh violating that we they've already agreed that like you know those were individual the main one as kind of like brando mentions the fit like tennessee failed to monitor the football program in an effective manner and from what i've like from what i've read and from what i heard that is ut has actively been like this is an individual based issue this is solely on pruitt's staff but for some reason one way or another as brando said like the ncaa can't get an agreement with ut's proposal or their defending argument so it would be, I mean, it would be a complete joke if they wound up, you know, punishing Tennessee on whether if it's scholarships or anything like that, because we've reduced scholarships in 2022. We even, you know, reduced some in future recruiting classes as well. And as you know, Brandon also mentioned, no recruiting visits for a, quite a few games too. But I think it just shows just how biased and like how ridiculous like the NCAA truly is as an organization, because you see a lot of programs from the past, whether if it's like Louisville basketball, Kansas basketball, their FBI investigations, North Carolina for creating fake degrees for their yeah. players because they yeah. couldn't get actual like passing grades, but they get walk away scratch free. So yeah, we'll have to well, see what happens. I was gonna say, I was just gonna say before, uh, even with the NCAA on their kind of way out, like I think Tennessee has to just take that, like you know, it is what it is approach because we're just gonna you know go forward with our program. Our guys have nothing involved, and mm-hmm. they're trying to do their own thing. Um, obviously no one else is taking notice of it because the same day Tennessee landed the top 100 prospect, top 10 wide receiver in the 2024 class. J.J. Harrell came into Tennessee on his birthday, a guy that was, you know, heavily offered by Alabama and Georgia, um, a guy that was, you know, a lot of people on 24-7 boards are, you know, pissed off about saying that his commitment's not going to stick. Kids absolutely locked in. Josh Heupel ended the top 10 wide receiver and Kelsey Popes out here, you know, recruiting after a, a Blitnikoff award winner. So, yeah, that it's a huge thing online going around and recruiting everything else, but these kids are also still buying in. What uh, there's so much to unpack here, so I'll see if I can say this inside of 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> I, you know, Drew laid this out very nicely in terms of what's going on and what what have you. One of the things that I I try to tell fans, listeners, certainly uh, members of your audience, is that 
be careful who you're listening to and who you're putting stock into. Because I'll, I'll look at the baseball program. Now, I had talked to a couple of people, and I, I mean, you know, I, I, these are people up the food chain and, and, and pretty reliable sources. And, and probably some of the same people that very reliable media members in Knoxville t- spoke to. And what I had heard was that it was going to be Tony with the three games. Ahuna was going to come back sooner than later. You had fans, especially rival fans, coming on. There, I, I've, I've been told that he's going to get fired. I tell people, stop. Stop listening to the Arkansas fan in, in, in Fayetteville or the LSU fan who's living in a bunker in Shreveport just because they don't know anything. They don't know anything. And right now, the, the being able to come to terms for the NCAA in Tennessee, nobody really knows what that is. It might be something as simple as, are we going to lose one scholarship? Are we going to lose three? Are we going to lose five? Are we going to limit off-campus visits to 20 versus 15? Whatever the case may be, it very well may be, and I don't know what it is, but it very well be, may well be a very minor point that they're trying to get agreement on. It's no different. I've been in more contract negotiations than I can remember. And sometimes everybody wants a resolution, but there might be a sticking point. That's It's not a, a point that everybody's arguing over. It's simply... Well, I think this, you think this, and a good negotiation is when nobody gets everything they want. And that may be what's happening here. Uh, so I would be, my best estimation, uh, guys and low. Not again, Bubba. I guess we're not going to get that best advice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a top tier cliffhanger right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All I said at the end was um, I would be very, very surprised based upon uh, the little that I've learned in terms of what I've read, the people that I've talked to, um, you know, behind the scenes, I'd be very surprised if this current uh, sports administration with Danny White, Josh Heupel, his staff, these players, I'd be very surprised if the NCAA went heavy handed. And I'll make one more point. It is, it is also very easy for us to go down the road of, the, oh, woe is us, the NCAA hates us. I will admit, no different than all of you, that it does seem unusual that a player will get a transfer and will get cleared like that. And with Tennessee, Brew McCoy, it just goes on like you're trying to drag a horse through mud. But I would caution everybody to remember one thing. Those are frustrations. It makes me crazy. It makes the four of you crazy and everybody listening and watching crazy. But I'm here to tell you, if you look around the country, it's not just Tennessee. And and that doesn't make it any better. It doesn't make it any easier to swallow. But it isn't just Tennessee. I have been on the NCAA for probably 15 years of my years on the air. I think the organization figuratively needs to get burned down. I think the college athletics in general, because of the transfer portal and NIL, have evolved in a way that the NCAA in Indianapolis has not stayed in step. I would go back to when California State Senator, bear with me here, California State Senator Nancy Skinner up in Berkeley it, uh, it brought the first NIL legislation to Sacramento, and in a politically charged state, it was unanimously approved. Mark Emmert came out and just had a blustering, savage statement against California, and it intimidated nobody. 
Not a single school in this state was intimidated because the, everybody out here knew that the NCAA needs the state of Cal California and USC, UCLA, Stanford, Cal, San Diego State, Fresno State, Pepperdine, and more, much more than the state of California needed the NCAA. And as evidenced by the fact that Florida, Texas, and a host of other states came out with their own NIL legislation. Point being, the NCAA, uh, they like to talk a big game, but in the end, what do they really do other than have a lack uh, of ability to interpret uh, interpret and lay down their own rules? Uh, it, it's, it, it's a clown show. And, and I know that there are a lot of smart people in Indianapolis. Unfortunately, their rule book is this big and even bigger. And they don't seem to, if there's one thing that they are consistent on, it is that they are inconsistent in levying punishment, levying discipline. The NCAA oh, yeah. just likes to act like, awesome. like they know something. Like they, they just want to be the people that are that got picked first. They want to be the people that are in charge. All they do is sit there and make money off of everybody else playing the sports. That's what's crazy. That's like Mark Kimmer rakes in millions, millions every year. Well, I guess he doesn't know more because he stepped down, but he rakes in millions just to act like like the big bad police. But then when when somebody bucks up to him, he just like, dang, you're right. And then he backs away, like you were saying. Was he really going to keep the NCAA like without NIL if California and Texas and Florida all were like, you know what, fine, we'll make our own conference? No, no way. He knows way better than that. But yeah, he tried to say something and be like, oh, wait, y'all can't do that. Y'all are going to lose me money. And they were like, okay, and? And then they, I, I, and I don't, they got what they wanted. To be clear, the transfer portal, it definitely needs better guardrails. And mm -hmm. NIL needs better guardrails going forward. But the notion, the notion that the NCAA was going to get in the way and not let this happen was absolutely ridiculous from the get-go, from the moment that statement came from Emmert's office. They were they were the main people trying to say, like, oh, no, we need to protect the uh, amateurism of the game. These aren't amateurs. You're right. putting them on TV. You bet I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars on them. Bro, they are not amateurs. They, I mean, they are doing this as like a side hustle to go to school. And that's like that's the same argument too. It's like you can't call this amateurism or anything like this when, for example, Tennessee football brings in over six hundred million dollars no a way. year no to way. to no not way. just the state city of Knoxville but the state of Tennessee. When you have billion dollar TV deals to ESPN for the rights of the national championship games, yes. you can't call this amateurism because it's no, not. No. It's it's a business. It's a business. U.S. Oh, it's evolved. USC and UCLA, 245 miles down the road from where I'm sitting right now, they didn't go to the Big Ten because they just have a hankering to play Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, and so on. They left because of the money. money. That's why they left. Oh, money. Well, I mean, why do you think Texas and Oklahoma are coming to the SEC? They're not right. coming to hang out either. They come to get some of that $143 like, million dollar paycheck everybody else gets. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. If they're going to – if they're going to put guardrails on it or especially try to put it on Tennessee on their final way out right now, go on against Tennessee, uh, they better do it quick because this 2024 class, um, I wouldn't be surprised if the month of March and April aren't like the best recruiting months for Tennessee football, maybe of all time. And I definitely think that this class of after, you know, what we saw in last year in 2023 that, you know, Josh Heifel is about to have a top five, if not a top two class in 2024. It's, it's looking crazy. Like just, you know, the in-state talent already surrounded by, you know, number one athlete, Mike Matthews, sound like he's leaning balls. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy the amount of people that are kind of putting their eyes on Tennessee right now. I'm popping in because I've been so distant um, that Auburn, Alabama is going to overtime. 
Oh. Yeah, he just missed a shot at the buzzer. Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't care. My, my parlay already got destroyed because of that Vanderbilt-Kentucky game, so I'm ready to watch the world Very burn crack tonight. House, so. man. It's crazy. Hey, you, know, you want to know what I was paying attention to tonight? It wasn't Alabama-Auburn. It wasn't Vandy-Kentucky. Is My 15-year-old daughter won her heat in the 100 at her track meet today. Hey. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, so she, she was awesome. By the way, let me ask you guys something. How many folks down your way are still bothering saying, uh, you know, Heupel can't recruit? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly, man. It, and I mean, shout out the Ball Club, obviously, but Josh Heupel, Absolutely. like the staff going in, Kelsey Pope, you know, getting a Cup Award winner year one, goes in and land the top ten wide receiver, who's also becoming the lead recruiter of this class, like how Jack Latrell was last year, and having that guy's going to build that steam. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if like we go like on a recruiting tear just because of the prospects we're bringing in alone. Like JJ Harrell's already going on Twitter, adding like every single recruit. Just uh, got one of his friends offered who most scouts are saying might end up the number one wide receiver in this class. And the new post is offering, like, quotes we did it saying, go ahead and commit already. So, I mean, if you can do a lot of catching up, get some guys on campus, like, it's just crazy, the guys that see that plug-and-play ability, like we talked about all year, like, the whole time. Josh Hyper plays chess on offense, and you can go out there and be a star. I, you guys are going to absolutely love this young man, Mr. Thornton from Oregon. I had oh, a chance yeah. to see him play a number of times. I mean, speed, size, physicality, and the ability to, if he can't run around you, he'll run over you. And you throw something within five to seven yards of him, he's going to get it. Oh, yeah. this guy, he can play in the slot. He can be outside. He can, he can do it all. What a difference maker he is going to be. And when you look at with him and Ramel Keaton and Squirrel White, this team, this receiver's room is going to be fun to watch with Joe Milton this fall. And Bruce McCoy. And then yeah, you, look, Thank you. I knew somebody. <laughs> you look at the backfield back there with Joe Millen, like the fact that we retain, you know, Jalen Wright, you know, Jabari Small is coming back after playing with a torn labrum all year. Dylan Sampson going in and getting his full stride. Uh, and then you added guys like a bigger back like Khalifa Keith and a lot of guys that are coming in that just have young flashes like the size and athleticism they're bringing to the team. If they can just, you know, have, have their role, it's just crazy. I, I definitely am excited mostly on the defensive part just because of how heavy we went. Uh, Caleb Herring, uh, James Pierce, a lot of guys get like a lot, a lot of praise. Ronnie Garner, you know, bringing in Robert Ayers and going crazy in that defensive line with his graduate assistant. I think that's going to be the biggest uh, breakthrough on the team this year, in my opinion, especially in recruiting wise, because there's about two or three five star defensive linemen that are coming to visit late in two weeks. Absolutely. I just want to comment, like, I guess we're wrapping this up, but. Man, this has been some phenomenal content. Like this is this is jam packed. Even though it started out as a shit show, I'm sitting here. Like, <laughs> you know I haven't contributed much, but that's what happens when you surround yourself with the best people. They just fill you guys full of information. So I just want to say that I've had fun. I've you know even why it's crazy. Want to know why it's crazy? Because it's March, baby. Let's go. That's true. It is March. March. Can I chime in with something too? We're forgetting. We're forgetting yeah. one other team. Let me let me talk about them real quick. Lady Vol softball is up to four in the country. They're doing uh, some stuff. They are eleven and one, and their last five games have all been shutouts. Um, they shut out the number five team in the country, Clemson. They shut out the number eight team in the country, Northwestern, and they are just blistering people. So, you know if. if Ball baseball started off a little bit slow. Lady Ball softball was there to pick it up. So I mean, can I add on to your point? 
Go ahead. Um, did I interrupt you again? I, you know, I just. No, you're good. Go ahead. Go I, ahead. Obviously, maybe I should not have these on. I watch no, I pause. I pause a lot. Go no, ahead. You know, um, anybody who follows my work, and, and I've said it with you guys, I have been hard on Karen Weekly. I, I've been hard on the Weekly family because I felt like the Monica Abbott team that the, the you know, before he retired, the Weeklies, I just felt like they had hit their ceiling, that we should have been the first SEC team to win a national championship. And they let they let that opportunity go on a couple of occasions. And I've been kind of quietly saying, I, I don't know if Weekly is going to, man, I'll tell you what. I, I'm, I'm hoping that I can continue to say I was jumping the gun and I was wrong because she's got it going on. She's done some great recruiting. This team, um, the pitching has looked great, as you said. They're, they're, the thing that concerned me the most about the players that Karen was, was recruiting is that it seemed like there was this emphasis on small ball. If you want to beat the Oklahomas, the UCLAs, the Alabamas, you can't. This is not today's softball. That's not what it is. And this team, like you pointed out, and correctly so, this team can do some things. They can beat you a lot of different ways. I am excited to see where this Lady Vols softball team goes. Like you said, their their pitching has been like absolutely phenomenal. I mean, five shutouts in the last in the last five games, that's tough. But even then, like they're still putting runs up on people. Like yeah. a lot of their games, they haven't went the length. They've been going out in four, five, six innings because they put so many runs up on you, they jump up on you quick. And then they they keep you down with that pitching that you've been talking about. So I well, before I go, I, I, I just want to tell you all that I, I always love when you invite me on the show because it's great to see your faces. It's great to see the whole crew here. And and just to give you a sense of what's going on out here in Central California, we are 46 miles from the south gate of Yosemite. And it's all closed because they have received close to 12 feet of snow, 12 feet of snow. Um, 60 miles east of us is uh, China Peak. That's about 8,000 feet up, great ski area. That's closed because the road, the main highway that goes there, there's so much snow, they've received uh, almost 10 feet. Uh, nobody can get through there. So here's Fresno, uh, and we look just to the east where the mountains begin about 30 miles away, and it's nothing but white cap mountains. We've had weather here that is more like the Midwest. So, you know, being inside, it's forced me to spend a lot more time, you know, and, and happily so, kind of digging into what's going on with the vowels and, and, and lady vowels. And then for this uh, invite to come in, uh, it's been great to spend an hour and 15 minutes with you. Uh, it always is. It's always great fun. Always a blast, man. And I've been completely out of the loop, really. I have season tickets to baseball. I can't make it because they're all at four o'clock for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. No, I don't know how anyone in Knoxville makes Dude, it. This is disgusting. The, the officiating in this game is absolutely awful. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, off the rails. It's Brandon is. Miller and freaking Nate Owens over here, like sure. just having the biggest bro fest, and it makes me feel disgusted. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think I think I think this is really important because if Bama loses, we get the three seed, right? But then it's in Tuscaloosa, and uh, you know Bruce Pearl is you know two seconds away from. Ripping his shirt off right now, so. <laughs> no one wants to see that, I promise you. Yeah. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, <laughs> no, man. 
Come on. <laughs> I think we need to wrap it up. I'm losing my mind. And you know what? I'll just say this also. I always love, uh, Lo, I always love the background there because it's like you're in the Tiki Lounge in Miami Beach. It's, yeah. Whoa, whoa. I, 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 my, I no, this man's actually in Miami, Miami bro. We're talking about Miami Beach now. Miami <laughs> ain't do nothing but I'm this. Too, so everything's just like black mode. I thought about that two days ago. Speaking of Miami CG, it's only a cool 70 right now. See? I thought about that, man. See? I was like, you can, keep nice. the snow. you can keep the snow. Yesterday was two months since the Orange Bowl. Me and Alex were living our best life on the water. It was great. Don't remember it. It was great, though. <laughs> so what were we saying about wrapping it up? <laughs> We are officially wrapping it up. Um, and um, CD, as always, an absolute pleasure. Um, love having you on. You always bring a fun element, so much info, so many different ideas that like I would never think of. So thank you for coming on and been fun. And if you guys missed the first 20 minutes and the debacles that occurred. You didn't miss anything. We'll upload the whole thing to Spotify and we promise it will be smooth. So nothing to miss out on. Thanks.